You're listening to Standing Before the Mass podcast with Chris Eaton, sponsored by Newport Nautical Supply. Hey folks, welcome to the latest episode. This one's for the adrenaline junkies out there, present company included. My guest is Dave Lucier. Dave is a longtime competitive multi-hull sailor of catamarans and trimarans who has recently found a new passion, blow karting or land yacht racing. Blow carts come from New Zealand and haven't caught on in the U.S. as they have in other countries. A blow cart is a three-wheeled cart with a freestanding sail that resembles one from a windsurfer and which is often sailed on dry lake beds, beaches at low tide, or abandoned runways. Dave talks us through how he got into the sport and what it's like to sail on one of these. He also tells the story of how he came to be the current speed co-record holder along with seasoned blowcart racer Scott Young, a record they set together while racing at Ivanpah, the dry lake bed in California's Mojave Desert. The speed they achieved at that event was a staggering 77.7 miles per hour. If any of this interests you or you just want to understand more about blowcarting, you can easily find videos on YouTube or visit the official Blowcart website at blowcart.com. That's B L O K A R T.com. And if you're on social media, Dave has a Facebook presence for those in the New England area who want to get involved. That group is called New England Land Sailors. I hope you enjoy. Okay, welcome, Dave. Thank you for joining me. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here. Uh, let's get a bit about your background. Let's hear a bit of your background as a sailor. Okay. Well, I, I grew up uh, water skiing, actually, then um, youngest of five kids, and we all water skied a lot. Then when I was 11, uh, my much older than me siblings all moved away, and I kind of inherited the family motorboat, was water skiing so much, my parents couldn't afford the gas, so they <laughs> sold the boat and uh, bought a sunfish, which was about the same value, and they, they threw it at me. I had no idea how to sail, so like a lot of people, I learned how to sail on a sunfish. Yep. So I did that for a number of years. Um but, you know, it was a little boring compared to water skiing. And then I saw a Hobie cat on TV that looked like it was going water skiing speed. So I, I got a Hobie cat. It must have been around 17, I suppose, at the time. So I got a Hobie cat catamaran, and it was fast and exciting. And then over time, I had another Hobie cat, then another Hobie cat. So I always had, mm. you know, pretty fast catamaran sailboats. Uh, then as I got older, uh, I got into trimaran. So I got a F-27 trimaran. I had that for 16 years. I bought it 91 brand new. So I learned how to, you know, eventually race and go faster and be competitive and stuff like that. Uh, then I, I was on a Swan 42 and other monohull like racing team things for a while. Then I then I got an F-31 trimaran, which I've had now for seven years. So I'm still sailing trimaran. That's your current boat. Yeah. Yep. You're, but your back your background is an engineer. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm a I'm a degreed electrical engineer by trade. I'm a Navy contractor for my my work. I'm the president of like a seventy five million dollar local company that works for the Navy, and we we basically test drive submarines. We we write tests, we conduct tests, we ride the boats, collect the data, come home, analyze it, write the report. Most of our workforce does that kind of thing. So wow. it's kind of a fun. And when you're not doing that, you're on a trimaran. Yeah, yeah. So I boat a lot, although on the submarine side of things, I'm in my late 50s now. So I kind of quit riding boats when I was in my mid-40s. I was like the old guy on the boat. You right. Know? <laughs> yeah. So. How big is the the multi-hull fleet in this area? Uh, well, New England Multi-Hull Association is like a, a club of uh, enthusiasts in New England. There's only about 100 members and maybe 60 active racing boats. Mm-hmm. 
but I know there's about 400 plus just Corsair multi-hulls in New England, for example. So a lot of them are not members or not active racers or things like that. So, uh, you know, multi-hulls are certainly not the dominant type of sailboat around New England. But as you can see, there are more and more cruising catamarans, mm-hmm. uh, the gunboat, you know, racer cruiser catamarans. Um, and more types. You see a lot of these little foiling ones now. There's a UFO, for example, a foiling cat, a really small one. Right. Uh, so so multi-hulls are growing in general, but not in one big, you know, J24 style of dominant one design. There's a big spread yeah. of the types of boats out there. But I think I remember you telling me a story when the Volvo boats were either arriving or they were racing here. You struggled to keep up in your trimaran. Yeah, I was surprised. I, an F thirty one that I have now, it, it's a pretty fast boat, you know. And uh, I met the first two Volvo boats uh, two races ago. So it was uh, Dongfang and Abu Dhabi. They were they were coming from Brazil to Newport, and they were just off of Block Island. So me and three other guys went out at sunset. Mm-hmm. We met them. It was only about maybe five or seven knots of wind. It wasn't much, but the sun was about to go down. We put our spinnaker up in front of them. And they had a jibing duel right behind us. And we were like, oh, this is a front row seat. Nobody had gone that far to greet them with a sailboat. You know, we, we were right there with them. And I thought, we'll hang with them all the way to Newport. Well, they passed me. Yeah. So then we put our motor on and floored it, you know, dead down, went to, to hang with them. But And they they came into Newport really slow in the dark. But it was a lot of fun. Oh. Wow. So you were out there that long. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We got in after 10, 11 o'clock when they finished. Yeah. I think I was among a group of people that, you know, was getting late. We said, well, this is really taking a long time. And we, we yep. bailed. But some people stuck it out. Yeah, and then when they they all departed, uh, I believe it was for Portugal that time. They left Newport to go to Portugal for the next leg. Similar thing. It was a beautiful weather day in May. And we got <clears throat> we got sailing. And that year, there were no restrictions on where the spectators could go. Mm. The last event, they did kind of restrict it with the harbor master and stuff like that. But the one before, there was no restrictions. So we sailed out with them, and we went like maybe five miles towards Cuddy Hunk. Mm. So we were, we were the sailboat that went with them the furthest. Yeah. And then it was all motorboats with us because it's hard to keep up. They, it, exactly. they had their big spinnakers up and stuff, and they're fast. So how did you get into the blow cart? How did you make that transition? Uh, well, I, you know, I, I had seen these land sailors on YouTube or videos over the years. Uh, I had a go-kart when I was a teenager like, with a chainsaw engine, so I, I like, you know, go-fast go-karts. And I was too tall when I was a teenager to have a big wheel, so I never had a big wheel. <laughs> Um, so when I saw these blow cart things, I thought oh, that, that'd be kind of cool. I, I never thought of the season aspect of it, which I'll get into in a minute, but, um, and, and also related, you know, I, I'm in my late fifties. I'm thinking about where I want to retire. I've been thinking Southern East coast. My wife wants me to go to Arizona because mm-hmm. we've been out there a few times. She likes Sedona and places like that. Sure. And, but she knows how passionate I am about sailing. So the last couple of trips to Arizona, uh, we found out that there was a blow cart place for worth rentals in Tucson. So we, we went out there, rented blow carts in like five knots of wind. It was hardly any wind. So we barely could move in these big leather gloves and helmets and 90 degree heat. But it was at a go-kart track and we thought it was really fun. So right. we came home and within a month we bought two blow carts, uh, one for her and one for I. And through the po- process of buying one, I found out there was no dealers in New England. They, c- they come from New Zealand, the factories mm-hmm. in New Zealand. So the New Zealand folks asked me if I wanted to be the dealer for New England and get a discount and all this. And I said, yeah, what the heck? I'll just do it as a little part-time gig, you know? Sure. So I ended up becoming the dealer, bought a couple of carts. And then when I started learning about the community of blow carting, which is not very big in the United States, um, 
the first event I went to was uh, a Bader Field event, which I'm going to in about three weeks from now, actually. So this is a uh, closed naval air station down in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And the blow carters from New York and New Jersey, Philly area, they, they rent this place. And people from Wisconsin, Canada, they all come down. So it'll be about 30 or 35 boats, we call them. And we, we do racing and fun laps around these runways and, you know, on a three or four day weekend. Wow. So that, that was my first introduction to it. And then when I met all these folks in October, they do it every Columbus Day weekend. They said, you're coming to Ivanpah, you're coming to Ivanpah. And I, I didn't know what that was at the time. And Ivanpah is a dry lake bed in the Mojave Desert in Southern California. And uh, so it's about three by nine miles of dry lake bed. And uh, it's owned by the Bureau of Land Management. And this club, North American Blowcart Sailing Association, they actually get a permit and they hold the North American Racing Championships there every year. There is racing, but there's a lot of social time and fun mm. sailing and a lot of camaraderie and all that. And it's typically 50 to 80 boats. Uh, they've had world championships there with over 100 boats. Uh, so they, you know, they told me about it. It sounded like a lot of fun. I, a couple of people said, oh, I've been, I went there once and I've been going 17 years straight, you know? So it was like, wow, this so is So the be- blow card has been around that long. Yes. Yeah. Yep. It's a one design. Yep. Mm. Yep. Yeah. There's only two classes, uh, performance and production. Mm-hmm. So that, so, so within that there's, there's strict one design. Uh, so like performance, uh, you can have all the go fast options like an aerodynamic pod and uh, carbon fiber mass and things of that nature. Whereas as the production class is for the low budget, maybe maybe more beginner sailors. There are some really good sailors in that class, but for those that can't afford some of the options, it's a less expensive way to get into it with a more naked cart, if you will. Right. So, and then, then within the two racing classes of production and performance, there's four weight classes. So depending on your body weight, nothing to do with sex, it's just your body weight. Right. Uh, they, they put you in a different class. Is that what I saw in the the email you sent me in the description about the the record, which we'll get to? There was an SHWT and an HWT class? Yep, heavyweight and super heavyweight. So, you know, above, I think it's above 209 pounds, you're super heavyweight, then like 180 to 209, you're heavyweight, and et cetera. So it goes mm. down from there, but... So the carts have these classes for racing, and then they, they also have four different sail sizes, which is kind of related to that. So anything above like five to seven mile an hour winds, you can go sailing all the way up to 40, 50 knots. So depending on your weight mm-hmm. and the wind speed, you pick one of the sails. So there's a, a two meter sail, three, four, and 5.5 meter. And again, but depending on the wind and your weight, you, you pick what sail is appropriate. Like the old days of windsurfing, right. people had different size. And they resemble a windsurfer sail. They do. Design-wise. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yep. Is it a freestanding rig? It's a freestanding carbon fiber rig, and the the mass sections are about thirty inches long in there. They go together like Legos. Mm. So you just when you go from a two meter to a three meter, you just add one more section, three to four. You add one more section. Mm. So if you have a mass for the biggest sail, which is the five point five, you have a mass that will work on any sail. Right. And it all goes into this compact suitcase. That's another funny thing about these that I find amazing. They fold into a special suitcase. When you buy a blow cart, it comes with a soft-sided suitcase. Ah. And you put the whole blow cart in the suitcase, and you put it on Southwest Airlines with two bags fly free, and you fly to California with your boat for free. So they treat it like so, my snowboard. Like snowboards yep. or golf clubs, exactly. Yeah. In, fact, in fact, what we have is a snowboard bag for our sails and right. mass, and then the cart goes in this like pizza-shaped 
thing that Southwest takes for free. So, I bet that was interesting for the uh, security people when they first saw them come through. Yeah, yeah. At, at, at Vegas, everybody arrives in Vegas with these things, but you know, at Providence, you give the bellhop twenty bucks and your your boat is going to Vegas. You know, all right. <laughs> Yeah, I noticed on one of the videos that on the link from uh, what was his name, Scott? Oh, Scott Young. Scott on Scott Young's video, he was. I think it was the first record he set, or the first time yeah. he broke somebody else's record. It looked like it was very subtle main sheet control. Yeah, when he was moving yeah. right along. Right. Yeah. So there's not a lot of. You're not paying out a huge no, amount. No, it's, of it's a lot like ice boating. If you've never been ice boating before. Um, just a summary on the performance before I get into the sheeting. So, so sure. these these boats perform pretty much like the AC-45s that were in the Bermuda mm-hmm. uh, America's Cup race, uh, almost like the AC-50s racing now. But the, basically, if you look at the polars for those boats, we're doing about 18 to 25 knots upwind yeah. and then about 30 to 45 knots downwind. So it's pretty much like you're foiling upwind and downwind all the time. So very similar speeds, but three to $5,000 boats instead of, you know, yeah. millions. <laughs> Um, so as far as the sheeting, yeah, what happens is you're going so fast, the apparent wind never comes aft the beam. Uh-huh. So so there's a windex, so a little wind indicator on the front, and it's always facing somewhere forward of 90 really? because, because you're always going faster than the wind. They generally go two to three times the speed of the wind. So if it's blowing 20, you're probably going to do, you know, 50 to 60 if you really wanted to. Right. And how do you, is there a braking mechanism? No brakes. Uh, well, my, I, should, I shouldn't say that. Blowcart sells a brake kit that you can get. And my wife, had, her carts always have a brake because she, she likes to have that mm. comfort feeling. But and I, like Ivan Pie, you'd never use it. Um, mm. If you're on Second Beach, like around here, and you go out and there's a lot of people around, sometimes if a dog is running, or, you know, it's good to have that, that safety thing. But right. in, in general, you got to know how to sail, basically. Yeah, well, I saw in one of your videos... Uh, on YouTube, you did a run down Second Beach. I think you hit 40 or something. Yeah. And then when it came, you got to the end, I noticed your turn was quite gentle. You, you depowered pretty quickly. Yeah, well, there's two aspects of the beach sailing compared to hard surface. On the beach, uh, as you know, when the tide goes out, that's where we sail on that nice hard mm. pack. And then if you head away from the water and you get into the softer stuff where there's like little dents where people walk, the cart slows down right away. So, ah. so you run down there. If you're going crazy, like that run, I was 44 miles an hour. Actually, you, I went up into the soft stuff, slow down, then do attack, sure. and then come back. And uh, <clears throat> so that that's nice. But around here, the tides are only uh, three, four feet mm-hmm. tide. So you can only go on first or second beach at low tide, realistically. Then you get a place like Nahant Beach, north of Boston or Hull, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Those beaches are tremendous because they got a, a 10 foot tide. So those are really good places. New, New Year's Day of this year, there was five of us up at uh, Hull and uh, we had a blast. We just sailed around and wow. it was really windy when the tide went out. We had a lot of real estate, you know. Yeah. Good fun. So you do that year round? Well, what happened since I have the the trimaran, I sail on the water in the summertime, and I'll do that from like May to September, and then in October till April, I'll I'll switch to blow carding. So, I think this whole summer I've only been blow carding once or twice, mm. uh, and that that's mostly because I have the other boat, but also because the places I like to go have too many people on them. So, right. either the the beach parking lots or the beach themselves is just too many people, whereas in the winter, 
you know, especially the fall and the spring, it's not that cold. So, but there's not as many people walking the beach. So there's plenty of room out there. Then in the January, February timeframe, we just dress like we're going snow skiing. Yeah. And we go out there. I, I got a buddy, we've been up to Boston uh, several times. We, we go at a closed airport up there too called um, Union Point uh-huh. or Southfield Naval Air Station. It's an old Navy base. And uh, we've sailed there in the snow. We've sailed there when there's been frozen puddles and <laughs> good fun. You mentioned the clothing. What sort of protective gear do you wear? I guess you mentioned in the desert you were all bundled up even. Uh, well, in the desert, uh, I wear very thin uh Nylon pants and sneakers because your mm-hmm. your your footwear you're you're underneath a fuselage. I, I have a performance cart with the with the pod, so mm-hmm. you're inside this stainless steel cage, if you will, with a skin on it. Uh. That's an aerodynamic skin. Then, on my torso, I'll typically wear like a, a lightweight, you know, long sleeve thing to keep the sunburn off. A uh, wicking shirt and then a, and a full motorcycle helmet with jaw protection. So I wear a full motorcycle oh, helmet, really? and you have to wear gloves because uh, the the main sheet is the only line you're going to pull, along with a Cunningham. Mm-hmm. So you got those two lines. You can only do one at a time, and a steering uh, rod. So on the steering rod, you got one hand steering all the time and one hand on the sheet, and occasionally a cut, little Cunningham action. But that's it. But you got to wear gloves for the the sheeting action. Is it a foot pedal steering? No. Some that's a good question. Some land sailors have only foot pedal steering. In fact, a lot of them do, but blow carts are by hand. So it's just a little T-bar. So that yoke that you were holding, yes. is, is that the word, a yoke or a helm? Yeah, yeah, a yoke, yeah. yeah. That controls the wheel. Yep. Yeah. And then standard wheelbarrow tires. Uh, it's kind of funny. They're like $12 tires, and mm-hmm. on the side of them it says, not for highway use. <laughs> and uh, we go 50 miles an hour. You know? Are they? Uh, are the hubs have bearings in them? Or they- yeah, there are uh, very, uh, not high-tech, but uh, some of the sailors are pretty high-tech about the, the, the fluids they put in those bearings. Mm. Uh, so they're standard wheelbarrow tires with a blow cart custom rim, and then inside the rim there are kind of standard size uh, bearings that you can get on, you know, Amazon or eBay. And right. That, that's legal within the class rules. You can get any bearings you want. So how did you wind up? You, you go out to uh, the, the, uh, the desert, and you just wanted to go out and join these guys. This is your first time there, right? Yeah, 2018. 2018. Yeah, yeah. And you wind up co-holding a record. With the, the the current the the then current fastest right blow cart so. yeah it was a crazy story but uh, it, it certainly wasn't planned in fact the, when we went out there that was that my first time in a blow cart race and uh, so I, I had talked to Scott Young on the phone even even before I met him he's the best sailor in America he's won the North Americans many times and uh, he had the previous record of 65 miles an hour uh, of note with Scott he's a really nice guy great sailor but he broke that record when he was 65 years old so I'm, I'm 58 and I'm one of the youngest guys out there right this is a bunch of fast old black catamaran guys <laughs> yeah it's a really fun group of people okay so you're out there so we're out there and um so uh the weekend before, you know, we had three or four days before the racing began, and I had never been to a big place like this. I mean, you, you go out and you you could go so far from your camp that when you turn around and come back, you can't see your camp. That's how far it was. Wow. And so you have to kind of remember the sun's over there or the hotel's over there, and you know, because— Not a lot of reference. No, no. It's it's wide open desert. It's right on the California-Nevada line. In fact, we stay in a hotel that's at a casino in California. We go out the back door, we get in our car, and we drive into this Bureau of Land Management gate, and, you, and you're instantly in the—I'm Cal- sorry, we sleep in Nevada, and then we go racing in California. Mm. 
So anyway, getting back to the story of the race, the uh, the weekend before is like a fun time. They had an enduro race. So think of it like a relay race where you pass a baton to somebody. So you had four carts on your team. Oh, wow. And we had like eight teams and you all line up in the start line and only one person from each team would go do like a massive five or 10 mile loop around the desert, wow. come back. And when they cross the line, you, you push off and, you know, like tag team. And so it's fun stuff like that. Um, and that's how you get to know some of the people socially too. Good, good things going on like that. Uh, but anyway, the, the, on a Saturday before the racing began on a Monday, uh, it was blowing 30. And I said, oh, I'm going to see how fast I can go. So I put my smallest sail, two-meter sail, which has the lowest resistance, but you go the fastest. Mm-hmm. And it was windy enough for it. And I think I got up to like 56 point something miles an hour. And uh, I was terrified. I, I felt Wow, 50-something miles an hour on a little five-and-a-half foot by five-and-a-half foot wide thing. I'm, I'm six foot three. Yeah. And I, I got off a little shaky and, like, you know, I'd done 44 on Second Beach. But when you're on the sand, if you wipe out on the sand, you know, th- this was pretty hard. Plus, you knew you had that technique on the sand where you could go into the heavier yeah, sand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, out in the desert, is wide open, so I, I could go anywhere I want. There weren't a lot of people sailing in this heavy wind. Mm. So was, the people that were going out were trying to see how fast they could go or, you know, make their personal best speed record. So anyway, I went that fast and I thought I'll probably never go faster. That that was the end of that. That was Saturday. Then Sunday was a play day. Then and Monday we started racing. So uh, during the racing, you know, I was t- typically in the top 10, sometimes the top five uh, out of the 22 boats in my the performance group. And like Hobie Alter Jr., that invented the Hobie Cat, mm. was there. He's a good sailor. Jim Nordhaus, he's won Blowcart World Championships. He was there. And, of course, Scott Young, who's won many titles. So they were all finishing ahead of me, but I was hanging right with those guys. So I felt like, hmm, I'm, I'm doing all right here, you know. So that, so that felt good from a competition perspective. Oh, and I got to tell you about the starts. The starts are amazing. So unlike what you see on a Wednesday night Newport Yacht Club thing here. Right. Uh, it, people, what they do is you, you get up to the start line. Now, the start line is out in the middle of this playa, they call it. There's a barrel at one end with a flag on it. Then maybe two or 300 yards where, at what we would call a committee boat end. There's a car mm. <laughs> with the race committee and somebody with a flag and another barrel with a flag, a little, you know, barging buoy, if you will. And the race pro will come out and it's two women from wisconsin usually that run these races and they're wonderful they, they run ice boating regattas around the world oh. as their job actually yeah. so they run this regatta so she'll come out and she'll say two minute dial up counterclockwise any questions you know and um oh an eight minute race so that that's how the, that's how they usually describe the race and she'll say any questions and and people say nope everybody knows what that means so we're sitting there stationary everybody's got their fingers on their racing watches mm-hmm. and she goes five four three two one go so we all push a button on our watch and we look at it and we like oh we got two minutes to go real, real casual oh tighten up your gloves give the wheels a little push and you start rolling and then about 15 to 20 seconds later, you're doing 40 knots. Wow. So, so you just kind of roll across the start-finish line. So now she said counterclockwise. So what we do is a swarm of fish in a sco- school of fish, if you will. <laughs> we make these massive ovals, and everybody has to go counterclockwise. So just because of the danger and the speeds, it's not like you can go anywhere you want. Right. So everybody goes in this massive counterclockwise oval below the start-finish line, mm-hmm. and everybody's kind of taking a peek at their watch. Then you have to time it without being early to get to that line now if you're over early in a blow cart at 40 knots and you got to come back and restart you're kind of automatically in last place wow so you gotta you gotta be conservative but yet aggressive enough to get over the line and up in boston my my buddy bb from cape cod and i we had 
practice our starts before we went out there a few times. And because we're both water sailors, even though I have a fast water boat, we were early all the time with the blow car. When we first started, it's right. like so fast, you know. So we, so when I watch the America's Cup guys or the AC-50s, I can really appreciate the, as they come up to that line sure. and they're doing 40 knots on those reaching starts, yeah. it's, that's pretty hard to do to get it perfect. Is it just an up, up, it went downwind leg? Yeah, uh, so the, the, everything else is pretty much the same as far as uh, rules. So they, mm. the, in courses, they'll give a, a windward mark and a leeward mark that are, you know, opposite ends of the start-finish in the middle. Mm. Uh, so, you, so you do this two-minute counterclockwise loop, and then when it's time to go, you just go across the line, go to the weather mark, and then the eight-minute duration thing is you do as many laps as you can in eight minutes. Ah. Some people might get three or four laps in. Some people might only get two. So then the winner, it's all one design. So the winner is whoever does the most laps and is first in that group of most laps is the winner, then second, third, fourth, and then just like NASCAR, you mm. know, if somebody's not in the lead lap, it's okay. They still get a finish position, but right. they just weren't in the lead lap. That's all. So that that was new to me, too, because that, that's not typically how a water race is run. But it's fast. It's an eight-minute adrenaline rush of, wow, you know. Wow. Uh, so anyway, we did um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday racing that year. Uh, 13 races and, um, per day or no grand over, total. We did grand about five, five, three to four, five a day. Mm -hmm. And depending on the win and cause they would alternate between the production class and the performance. So we'd go do our racing, go back to the camp for about 20, 30 minutes while the other group was out there in the same course. Mm -hmm. It's only one race committee. Yep. Not like multiple circles or anything like that. Um, yeah, so so the racing happened, and I was getting more comfortable with the start. Starts are a big deal. I was getting better at it. And as, as the number of races went on, I was getting better and better. I could feel it. And then the, the 14th race on the last day, which turned out to be the last race, uh, this is, that's where the record happened. So we started the race, and um, I knew we had either this or the next race is the last race. I was getting more and more aggressive. And, and in this particular one, I, I won the start. So I was in first place. Scott Young was right behind me on my starboard hip. We went right right across the line together, right near the race committee. And we had like 45 knots of speed. Now, in this race, it was 30 knots at the start. So we're sitting there with our watches, and the mm -hmm. race committee is like screaming at us, trying to tell us the countdown. So it was, it was 30 to start with. It was really windy. Um, I had a three-meter sail, as most racers did. I believe Scott was the only person with a four-meter sail, which is absolutely nuts. That's a lot of power. Wow. For, and he's a little lighter than me, too. Uh, so anyway, we, we started, uh, him and I, you know, first and second. A lot of boats were pretty close to us. But then with all that speed at the start, because you, you end up coming in our reach with everybody. Everybody's mm -hmm. like in a big swarm together. Uh, we immediately just shot out to the port side of the course, you know, slowly feathered up when we really s stepped away from the fleet quite a bit. So when we got to that first weather mark, um, we were pretty much locked in unison. I, I, was, I was right on his tail, and uh, we went downwind together. I, I, was, I was right on his butt again, but it seemed to get windier on the downwind leg. And then when we turned around to come upwind, uh, we could barely see the start-finish line. It, it, the wind just started howling like 40 miles an hour, uh, and I passed him going upwind. So wow. the, going into the second lap, I, I got ahead of him. Then at the weather mark, we were so close. I, I, I came up to the mark on port. He was on starboard, so when I tacked to get around the mark, he had inside, so I had to give him right. So we, we just went around side by side. And um, then, then the wind maybe came down to 35 instead of 40 or 45. But we looked, and it seemed like uh, this wind that I later learned was called a haboob. And somebody actually videoed this whole scene from, from the 
shore. I call it the, the shore. shore. <laughs> it's a bunch of RVs lined up, you know. But it's called a haboob. It's basically a desert storm. Mm-hmm. So it over, it came across the desert and went right through our racing area. And it was smaller than the entire race course. So when we got to the weather mark, we had come out of the haboob, just the two of us, got around that weather mark. And we looked downwind and we could see we were about to get back into it. And other people were struggling to come up into it. Right. Know? So we kind of both got there, looked at each other, you know, kind of nodded like, oh, my God, what's going to happen now? We, and we jumped in and we just took off like never before. So we were side by side and we kind of separated a little bit. Then I, I fell right behind him, right on his tail, probably only two or three cart lengths of visibility. These are five and a half foot carts. So oh, wow. we were really close, a blinding sandstorm. We couldn't see where we were going. This is all from the haboob, not the sand that you had Correct. generated. Correct. Right. Just from the haboob and, and the start finish line. You're not just like any regular racing. You're not allowed to go through it on your downwind leg. Mm. Now, these carts are so fast that you are going almost dead downwind. I mean, we're talking about, you know, a true wind angle of like 170, 160, mm. almost 180. But uh, so we're going really deep and we're afraid we're going to go through the start finish line. And we both like zip by zoom, zoom, you know, We're doing like 70 something. <sighs> and it went right by us. And we realized, oh, we actually have to jibe. Yeah. <laughs> now, that, a jibe, you know, when it's windy on a monohull sounds scary, which it can be. Mm. On these boats, you are going so much faster than the wind. When you jibe, it's, the sail actually flutters like you're tacking. A lot of people that don't go faster than the wind don't understand that. Wow. But it's, jibes are not scary on a blow cart when you're going fast. You're actually... You've, I mean, you've accelerated beyond the wind. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so we both kind of sensed where we were because we couldn't see the leeward mark. Right. Now, beyond the leeward mark, a couple of hundred yards, was a whole row of cars and RVs just sitting there watching the racing, and we couldn't see them. And we knew the mark was... And towards you're, and you're gunning for them. And we're going right at them, uh-huh. and we're like, this isn't good, you know, and there's no brakes. <laughs> so uh, we both jibed together, <clears throat> and we went to the leeward mark. I was right behind him, and as we got to that leeward mark, I mean, to turn back up when at that speed with this little go-kart thing with tires that are rated for, like, mm-hmm. 35 PSI and 20 miles an hour, and we're doing, you know, 75. Yeah. It was just horrendous. The whole cart was shaking and sliding yeah. sideways, and it was, I thought one of us was either going to wipe out or totally flip over, and, and we both kind of hung in there and skidded sideways together. And, so, and then we knew which way the wind was blowing, which is where the race committee was. So we mm. said, well, we're still in this race. We, we didn't know it was canceled. Uh, so oh, it got canceled. We didn't know that. Oh. So because so, the start finish line was invisible, they, they, we couldn't, couldn't see, see the flag. So, so by the time we both I kind of I kind of feathered off and realized I am dropping out. This is dangerous. People can get killed here. Mm. And he, he kind of kept on racing. Scott kept going up to the. Uh, mark, but I, I wasn't far behind him. I had so much speed falling off. I just came back and I was right with him again. And we went through the start finish line almost together again. And they had the black flag out, which meant the race was canceled. Mm-hmm. So we were like, oh, thank God that, that was dangerous. And, and there weren't many other boats around. A lot of people just bailed out when the haboob came over us. Right. So Scott actually thinks the haboob was wind in the 50s. So we didn't have any wind recording, but that he sailed out. That's his, he lives out there. That's his home That's court. That's his backyard. And, yeah. So, so then I was, I was literally shaking, uh, and getting back to my camper was hard mm. just from the race area. <laughs> so I got back down there and, and my wife was there and, and everybody was like, why are you guys out there? This is crazy. And I say, I know, I know we're done. We're done. It's over, you know? <laughs> So then on my phone, I have this Race Cues racing app mm-hmm. that keeps track of my course and a couple of the blow carters do it so we can compare our race tactics or, you know, angles afterwards. 
So I, I said, gee, I wonder how fast they went. You know, so I pulled it out and it was like, I think it was 66.1 knots, which is like 76 miles an hour. Wow. And I'm like, whew, I knew it was fast, but I didn't realize it was that fast, but there's the numbers, you know, so sure. I, I got to go tell Scott this. So I, I walk over to Scott's camp. Now th- here's the current Blowcart world record holder at 65 miles an hour. I walk over to his camp and his eyes lit up and he looks at me and he goes, Dave, that was something special. He said, I think we did 70, you know, and I, I showed him my phone. Sure. And at first he thought it was miles per hour, you know, and it took a little while to realize it was a knots and it was really 70 something. And then later on, uh, he actually had a GPS unit. Mm-hmm. And he looked at that, and it was 77.7 miles an hour. Wow. So there's a, uh, a fellow, I forget his name, and uh, it's either New Zealand or Australia. He keeps track of the, the 100 club, the welcome to the 100, 100 kilometers an hour. Okay. Which is like, I think, in the 60s yep. miles per hour or something like that. So it's only like six people in the world that have been over 100 kilometers an hour. And you're in the and group. And we, we blew it away, though. That's 125 kilometers an hour, 77, wow. actually. So. So, yeah, we, we blew it away. And like I said, the, the Saturday before, I tried to go as fast as I could, and I was terrified at like 56, 57. Scott's done 65, mm. but uh, he's got a well-oiled machine. He balances his tires. That, that's the other thing about these <laughs> these really – the guys from Wisconsin in particular, they're so technical about their carts. Sure. They balance their tires with little weights. They have the secret sauce and the, the lube for the bearings. Yeah. Uh, that, you know. Do you think it was because – it was the two of you on on this day that the record was hit that you hung in there versus the date the Saturday prior. Uh, no, it was the wind speed. It was, it was the wind. Yeah, speed. It, was that, it, was, it was a lot more wind. And uh, you know, Scott writes up his description of this event too, and he he's tried to break his own record several times. And um, so when so when he did this one, actually, he was sixty seven years old, mm. <laughs> which I think is amazing. Good for him. Uh, but but he describes it as you know, when you try to go fast in a blow cart, you you just run out of wind. You you get to a point where it's got to be blowing at least like 50 or so to get up to like 77 whereas if you're trying to uh you know break your own record at 25 knots and you put up a bigger sail it's just not going to work you run out of wind you go so much faster than the true wind it just and then you begin in, in counter resistance i would imagine you counter resist yeah and then yeah. You, the other thing is you bear away and another thing that a lot of people aren't used to except for fast sailors is the when you get a big puff with the spinnaker you know or, or these sails down when you you bear away and even upwind sometimes you get a big puff and tendency is to just feather up mm. you can actually bear away get a tiny bit more speed and then with the wheels and you just get so much momentum to mm. carry that a long way so you you bear away a lot whether you're going upwind or downwind but the downwind bear away is so critical after that experience did you find yourself going over your equipment very carefully looking for where or yeah, yeah, yeah. The the tires in particular, the, I mean, the rims inside, there's a little white uh, marking that you can see when the tires are, you know, you're sliding sideways a lot. You can have the rubber just rip the plastic rim apart and mm. explode, basically. So, yeah, I've been looking for that. The sails are pretty rugged, uh, and the frames are stainless steel, mm. so there's no issues there. But there's some nuts that can loosen up, so I, I certainly keep track of all that and make sure it's all good and tight. And my helmet, mm. my, my gloves and things like that. But the, like I said, if you try to go out and go fast and you hit 55 or 65, it's it's pretty terrifying in a tiny little blow cart. So to think that someone someday is going to do 77.7, probably not happening unless they intentionally go out in 50 knots. Right. But if you intentionally go out in 50 knots in the desert, it is such so much uh, blinding snow, uh, you know, sandstorm, low visibility. Yeah. Nobody in their right mind is going to go out on purpose. Right. We, we, we were just there at the wrong place at the right time, basically, to make the record happen. So and it was kind of a freak incident. Yeah. <laughs> Did you, during that high-speed run, 
was your helm, could you feel it in the helm? Was it hard to hold? Or was it wasn't it- hard to hold, but, you know, it's just like a power steering uh, in an old-style car mm-hmm. when you're going really fast, a slight motion, and you're going to get a radical turn. So you had to hold it steady. And mm-hmm. if you did a, any kind of significant turn, you're going to just spin out and wipe out, you know. So we had to keep them under control. It was it was scary. Mm-hmm. A couple of boats flipped over. Miraculously, nobody got hurt. We were kind of surprised when we got back that nobody flipped over and broke a mast or got hurt. Thank God there were no collisions. That would have been terrible. It but, sounds like a pretty conservative crowd in that regard. And, yeah, yeah. And it, there's, a, there's a race committee, you know, there's an organization, the, the president of the club and all that. And they have safety briefings. And we're, we're out there to have fun first and be safe and everything. And the whole competition thing is secondary, really. But that, that said, there's a lot of competitive sailors in this group, too. Yeah, I was reading that one of the links you sent me, that the others who dropped out, or at least saw the the flag that the race had ended, had quotes like, I'm relieved, and I will live. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, yeah. that puts it in perspective. Yeah, I, like I said, if, if the wind was like that before a race, they would not conduct a race. We, 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 were just, we just happened to be in a race when a storm came. You're in a sailboat with no brakes. Mm. You're racing. You're, you're competing for first place. A little testosterone involved, perhaps, and... We were all dialed in at that perfect angle, and we looked at each other, and we, mm. you, could, you could see the sandstorm right right in front of us, and we, we kind of drove into this wall of sand. You know, wow. It was, it was quite the feeling, yeah. You mentioned that uh, the classes are divided up by weight category, yep. and it's not by male or female. How, how many women participate in this? Uh, I think this past 2019 racing, I think we had four females and and they actually are competitive they they won some of the classes scott young's wife is one of them patty Mm -hmm. uh there's another woman that races in the production class i know she's really competitive trying to get my wife to race she she loves sailing Mm -hmm. out there but she she hasn't raced yet uh but like that's the other thing it's not just about the racing out at ivanpah almost every afternoon after four or five p.m this nice 10, maybe 15 mile an hour wind comes up mm. and it is absolutely gorgeous. The, the, it's just steady. There's no puffs. And that's when my wife likes to go out. We can go out for a ride together mm. and just go off and, you know, explore the playa or take a nice gentle ride. It's really nice. Other than the wind itself, is it a noisy experience? Because I'm picturing you're in the stainless sort of cubby. No, it's a, it's a little vibration. If you ever saw like a dry lake, but you know, how it, may, it almost looks like little octagon right. dryness shapes yeah. and they're all like funny shapes like that. So, so you hit those little, I don't want to call them bumps, uh, rip, ripples or ridges. Hmm. So you get that little vibration of a wheelbarrow tire hitting that, but it, that vibration is the only sound other than the wind whistling on your ears. But uh, so no, it's not real noisy. How much time was spent on two wheels versus three during that pass? <laughs> well, unlike a Hobie Cat, where you want to keep one hull just barely in the air, or on my trimaran when we're mm-hmm. racing, we always fly one hull. So even though I have a trimaran, one of them is always in the air, whether it's lighter or heavier. Unlike all of that, on a blow cart, three wheels on the ground is faster than flying one. Mm. Uh, when, you're, when you're flying one, to keep it just one inch above the ground, it's so much turning and... Uh, sheeting that it's slow because mm. if you keep three on the ground and you keep that angle perfect with the sheet you can feel the speed and and you so three yeah, on the drives ground drives it forward yeah, yeah so, when, so when we're racing we very rarely fly a wheel flying a wheel is a little hot dogging you know it, oh. it, it, it's fun but it's really hot dogging and when you when you make the turn around the mark you try and keep it as flat as possible yep yeah we'll sheet out typically yep. before a mark rounding or even like for the weather mark you'll sheet out at the mark to go down one just a tiny bit mm. Uh, just to get the acceleration downwind, but then eventually you, you slowly start sheeting in downwind, 
And before you know it, you're sheeted all the way in going downwind because you're going so much faster. Wow. Now you mentioned the blow cart is from New Zealand originally. Yep. Is is that where it's more prevalent or where what part of the world is it? Excellent question. Yeah. So so I understand there's about 14,000 blow carts in the world. Most of them are in New Zealand and Australia. The rest of them are mostly in Europe. And there's only about three or 400 in America. So the, the wow. United States is just not caught on yet. Sure. And uh, that, I think that's going to change. And I think a lot of that is dependent on venue. So that's one of the things I'm working you on. You need a place it, to go. You need a place to mm. go. Exactly. And when I when I bought it, I was reluctant with the the dealer from New Zealand saying, oh, where am I going to go? And he's like, well, you got to go figure that out. I'm not going to figure <laughs> it Which is true. So I've, I've created this little booklet. And so I, I've got these Google Earth photos with little lines drawn on it, measuring the distance of every beach around here, parking lot. Oh. Uh, I've been in the Showcase Cinemas parking lot in Seekonk. Mm. Uh, the, the old Lowe's parking lot in North Kingstown, yep. URI parking lots, uh, Ninigret Park, First Beach, Second Beach. So all these different places around New England now I've documented where places where you can go. So I'm creating this booklet to, to help guide people, to help guide yeah. people that these are available locations. Now, and most of those you mentioned are obviously public. But have you ever been chased off a private property? Believe it or not, no. I, I mean, I, at my age, I feel like a radical teenage skateboarder <laughs> about to get <laughs> kicked out by the cops, you know, but it hasn't happened yet. Um, now, the place we're working on in Boston is most intriguing. This place is actually larger than Bader Field in New Jersey. So the old Naval Air Station, uh, it's in uh, Rockland, Massachusetts at Union Point is the name of the development. So this is a massive airport with two major runways. Uh, one of them's 4,000 feet. One of them's 3,000 and change. They're 180-foot wide runway. So you can actually tack and jibe up one runway. Mm. And then after the runways cross, there are all these taxi areas where you could actually set up race courses and go around all the taxi areas. And, and we've had fun races up there where we've set up courses. What we don't have at this place, even though it's open to the public today, is official permission from the landover to have an organized regatta. So I am working on that mm. with the authorities right now. Uh, what it is, it's a neighborhood development where they were going to make this um, nice neighborhood with all these eco-friendly, high-tech things with mm. unmanned cars and things like that. And uh, the runways are largely going to be kept intact. So we're trying to work with the Neighborhood Association to make this a form of recreation in their backyard. Mm. And they want it. We want it. So it's just a matter of convincing the bank now. So the bank foreclosed on the developer. And we're talking to the banks about getting uh, insurance liability, paperwork, and formal permission. Once we get that and we have a couple of regattas, It'll you're going to see a lot of these in New England because then people are going to see us. They're going to want to come out and race. Mm. And the condition of the tarmac's in good enough shape? It's, it's actually in really good shape. In the wintertime, what happens is because it hasn't been used as an active runway for years, they have had cracks develop. Mm. But these are six foot thick concrete runways. They're not like a couple of feet thick because they're all military. It was military, right. Right. So they're really thick. So where they have a crack, it's not like it's going to be like a Rhode Island pothole, but they do have <laughs> dandelions and things that are growing. Sure. So in the summertime, it's actually bumpy with all this grass growing. But in the wintertime, when all the grass dies, yeah. it's awesome. Wow. Know, so, so we actually prefer going in the winter. Oh, that's uh, so, yeah, once we get Union Point locked in, uh, the Jersey boys, they call themselves, they're having this race every Columbus Day. Then mm. the uh, Ivanpah event is six months later, uh, first week of April in California. So those are the two big events per year in America. Mm. And if we secure Union Point, uh, because they're both East Coast locations, what we're thinking about is having an event either a week before or a week after the Jersey thing. So people that come from Wisconsin or whatever can actually be, do two events right. in, in multiple weekends back to back, you know. Cool. I think I had all these questions like how do you depower turn, but you've, you've covered all of them. Oh, I know. I, I read on some of these 
uh, reports from the, the races. People talk about sliding, uh, yeah. not too much sliding, or as they rounded a corner, yeah. the sliding was under control. Um, is that in lieu of the lifting wheel? Yes, yes. So what happens at uh, high speeds when you're doing a leeward mark rounding, not, not so much the windward mark, but the leeward mark in particular, uh, you know, if you come in on starboard jibe, there's typically a port rounding. You got to do a pretty radical mm. U-turn almost, which is pretty hard without spinning out. So you, when you turn that front tire, you can feel the front tire not gripping and sliding. Right. And if you push it too hard and the front tire gets a little grip, then the rear tires might slide out a little. So uh, it's kind of like a big wheel, I guess, yeah. when you're a kid. You, know, you, you can feel that whole motion. You work to uh, your advantage. Yeah, and I, I found that if you come in on port jibe at a leeward mark, for example, uh, at the right angle, as soon as you get to that leeward mark and if you turn up really quickly, you carry all that downward boat speed mm. getting up to your weather heading compared to some other people that might be off on a really fun, fast reach, but yeah. <laughs> they're, not, they're not going to the next mark or the start-finish line. So, uh, But you've got to balance that with the sliding because if you turn it too sharp and you slide, that's like braking. Yeah. You, or you can spin, spin out, too. Out. Yeah, there's yeah. videos where they, they spin out at the leeward mark. Uh, another thing you'll see on the Internet, it's fun to watch, is uh, – a, a significant group in England that raced these at, on beaches at low tide. Mm. And I can't wait to, we're going to do it this winter for sure. We're going to have a regatta here on first beach in Newport. But uh, when the tide goes out at first beach, there's plenty of room there to do it. And um, so when you do a, a jibe on a beach, it's, it's actually easier to slide there than it is out in the playa of California. So, yeah. but, it, but again, it's fun. If you, if you spin out or wipe out in a beach, you, you fall over, you don't scratch anything. Uh, and the mass actually, what happens with these, because it's a triangle, the mass hits the sand and your torso is strapped into a stainless steel frame with a seatbelt. So your torso, you're actually suspended in the air. You don't get hurt actually, mm -hmm. as long as you don't put your hands out, you just let the mass hold the boat up. Uh, so, but you know, that's only if you really wipe out really bad. But generally, you, you can slide in the sand, and it's a lot of fun. And, you know, you watch the one in England I, I've seen on YouTube several times. It looks like NASCAR. These guys are doing 20, 30 knots around a mark. They're rubbing tires right. and, you know. Well, yeah, they're the tides. You've got a, a lot of space. Yes, yeah, big tide in England. A lot of space, right? yeah. 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 If someone, like an adrenaline junkie like myself, wanted to get into this, how much of an investment are you looking at? Uh, between three and six thousand yeah. is what I like to tell people. If you want a, a basic cart with one sail, it's probably around three thousand. Uh, but if you want to get more than one sail size because you want to go out in more wind conditions, each sail you know is about eight hundred bucks. Then you got to get the right mass sections to accommodate the right sail. Mm. Uh, then then there's all these little options of Cunningham, a racing Cunningham, a regular one, or uh, bearing buddies. You know, there's yeah. all these little trinkets you can get to equip it the way you like, but. And it's spelled, I just want to get the spelling, it's B-L-O-K-A-R-T. That's right. And, and the website, is the website blowcart.com or yep. is there a New Zealand address? Yeah, that, that blowcart.com is in New Zealand. If you go there, it'll, you know, have videos all about the carts. It'll link you to dealers around the world, mm. uh, show you how to build your own cart and accessories. You can't buy one from there. You have to buy it from a dealer. But it'll let you, you know, like a car dealership, you go to the home website and it kind of does that thing for you. Wow. Is there anything else you wanted to? Yeah, for, as far as New England Land Sailors is my little dealership. Yep. So we, we're on Facebook. New England Land Sailors is a regular Facebook account. So when we go out around New England, mm -hmm. we always post one or two days in advance saying, hey, we're going to be at Union Point this Sunday if anybody wants to come out for a fun ride. We don't charge anything. We, we just let people come out for rides. Uh, another thing that Blowcart generously did for us in the past years, uh, they gave us a, a what's called a shadow cart. 
So the, the shadow uh, allows you to have another person side by side, like a hmm. sidecar, if you will. And they, they don't have to know how to sail. They don't drive. They can just sit there and enjoy the ride. So it's not a two-seater. It's an actual another pod? No, it is a two-seater. Oh, okay. So, so it's a, it, it makes the one seat a little wider oh, I got it. Okay. for a second person to sit. Hmm. Um, but they don't have the controls? or They don't have the controls. Now, you can let them hold a sheet if you wanted to just to start training them or whatever. But, you know, a lot of people come see us and they want to go for a ride in there. Mm. Or you, they, they find out you have no brakes. <laughs> so they get a little nervous. But if you take them in the shadow, uh, it introduces them. And just a couple of weekends ago, I wasn't up there, but a couple of my buddies went up to the place in Boston at Union Point, And they had a bunch of blind sailors come out. And they took out oh, blind wow. sailors on a blow cart. And they loved it. So the blind sailing community of Boston are talking about about, hey, when can we go back blow car? Sure. So for around here, the people I haven't spoken with yet, uh, but I, I want to, is like the Frostbiters at Newport Yacht Club, yep. people that are into sailing in the winter mm. that love sailing or speed, but they get wet and cold, like come on a blow car and you can jump in your car and warm up yeah. you know, <laughs> and not get wet too. Uh, so I, I think those types of folks, if they ever tried it, and that, that's the other thing, if, if a, a typical catamaran sailor or trimaran sailor that hasn't tried a blow cart ever tried it, guarantee they will be hooked instantly if you, if you like that kind of speed. Or even motorcycle people or car people, like it, it's just so fast. And then the idea that, like you said, it folds into luggage, essentially, yeah. and that makes storage... Oh, the, so the much maintenance, the, the ease of taking it home in your car mm. and cleaning it off and getting it ready for next time. It's so easy compared to an ordinary sailboat. Yeah, are you meticulous about rinsing it, say, after being on a salty beach? Or I do I do corrosion? rinse it. And uh, on a sandy beach, it's more of a pain. And what we do is we, we use special bearings that are not going to be, uh, <clears throat> you know, sub subject to getting in there and all that. So, And there's actually these hub covers you can go when you go on the beach. Uh, whereas when you go out in the, the tarmac where you can get a, get away with a really nice fast bearing, mm. it'll be a little bit different. But, uh, yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, I, I think yeah. the best thing to do would be to take you out for a blow cart ride. So then the next time you have a podcast, you can tell your next. I can report new, back. Yeah, I went out on a blow cart ride. Yeah. And I know your Uncle Bill would love it because he's an old multi-hell guy. So yeah. I've been at, I yeah, told him to come like out and try it. Um, so, again, the the website, if anyone just listened to this podcast and wants to learn more, it's B-L-O-K-A-R-T.com. Yep. And for those who are on Facebook and social media, your local uh, page is called what again? I'm sorry. Uh, New England Land Sailors. New England Land Sailors. Yeah. Okay, great. All right. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Thank you, time. Chris. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Standing Before the Mass podcast with Chris Heaton, sponsored by Newport Nautical Supply. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.